You're listening to Insights for Living with Pastor Boju Oyemade. Pastor Boju is the senior pastor of the Covenant Nation. Psalm 107 and verse 2 tells us, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. In other words, let the redeemed of the Lord say that they have been redeemed. It's not enough for you to be redeemed. Appropriation, which means you are making it now your own personal possession. Don't forget, you shall have whatsoever you say. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You will have what you say. So that it has been done for you to have it, you must say it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. So you have been redeemed from the hands of the enemy. He says, but you have got to say so if you are going to see it. He says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. So it is only when they start saying it, what he has done will now start showing itself in their lives to be true. So they've been redeemed from the hands of the enemy, but let them say so that the will of God might be done on the earth even as it is in heaven. So bringing that into the blood here, in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, it says, They sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred, tongue, tribe, nation, and people. So if we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, then it says, let the redeemed say so. So it is a personal testimony of what the blood of Jesus Christ has done for us. So in this series, we are going to look at the various things in the New Testament that the blood of Jesus Christ has procured for us, and therefore you are now able to start saying it, and by that you put on the breastplate of righteousness over your heart. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Now as you begin to say certain things, you put on that breastplate of righteousness that covers your heart, all right, and, and, and regulates your heart. So the things that Satan wants to do to your heart, your heart gets protected. The second part is that they love not their lives unto death. Now, this is not talking about physical death, all right, because the uh, Bible tells us that you can give your body to be burned. If you have not love, it is nothing. So dying physically, all right, 
it is not necessarily a spiritual thing. Do you get what I'm saying here? That you gave your life for something doesn't necessarily mean that, I mean, to people say, ah, person died, person, all right, but it doesn't necessarily mean, all right, that what you have done, all right, is really spiritual. This death he's talking about is the death of the cross. And which death is it? Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8. This is the death he's talking about. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. There's a process of death here. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So there is the death of the cross, and there is physical death. What he's talking about is actually a level of obedience to God where it is no longer, this is what the cross means, it is no longer my will, but let your will be done. And in doing the will of God, you experience what the old timers used to call death to self. In other words, you humble yourself and, you know, you, you die to self. It's just like saying that, okay, let me give you this example. Uh, we're going to look at the scripture. Let me look at this example. My friend Pastor Howe, all right, in Singapore, his father was a very wealthy man, very extremely wealthy man in Singapore. And when he was in school, after a long time, he said he's going to ministry. So his father said, you are going into ministry. You are supposed to continue my business. You used to supply electronics, all right, to, South, to Singapore. So his father, trying to get him to join him in business, gave him a million dollars to leave ministry and come and join him. One million U.S. dollars as a young guy. He refused. Now, that's not my will. Are you following what I'm saying? So this death, you are alive, but you, you are alive. But you are a living what? Sacrifice. Are you, you understand what I'm saying? A million U.S. dollars he refused. Now, his father used to live, in, because he was wealthy, in the wealthy place in Singapore. And they, they, I mean, when you talk about rich people in Singapore, they have serious money. Okay? When we say serious, serious money. Okay? I've, I've been there. Some of those people, they, the garage is in their living room. They, they, you enter into the garage. It's an elevator. It takes you to your living room in your car. You open the door and you walk in. They have serious money. Okay. <laughs> uh, Singapore people, they have it. All right? I, I know what I'm saying. All right? So he had to go and start out in the poor area of Singapore. Now, he has become very successful in ministry and can move into some of the wealthy areas. But God told him to still stay among the people. That's death to self. That's you are alive, but you are dying daily. Because every time you drive past those wealthy places, you know that it's better to be here than to be where I am. But by the instruction of God, that's what Paul said, we that live are always delivered unto what? Death. So it's not my will, all right, but thy will be done. And let's give an example here. First Peter chapter 2 from verse 20 to verse 24, I don't show something about the blood. It's a brief message, but I just want to show this. 
For what glory is it if you be buffeted for your fault, you'll take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you'll take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were you called. He says, you are called by God to this. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving an example that we should follow his steps. Who did no sin? Neither was any guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. The Bible says, Who his own self bear our sins on his own body on the tree. So he's talking about the type of death that Jesus experienced. And that when we experience it as a format, all right, this type of death on the inside of ourselves, we are going through things, all right, people are treating us in a certain way that we consider to be unfair treatment. In other words, it is not justified. But it says that this is how, all right, you are to respond to it when the treatment's there, all right, it's not justified, and you have your own personal rights. Uh, and you can get up and make a case for your own self. But it tells us here that, you know, they were obedient there and experienced that death, which is the death of the cross. Now, here's what I'm getting to. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 28, is warfare here. Let's see this here. It says, through faith, all right, he kept the Passover and the blood of sprinkling that he that destroyed the firstborn should not touch them. In other words, it's telling us that your life can be in a place where Satan, all right, cannot even touch you. In other words, he cannot, all right, destroy you as a person. You are, you are operating in that space. And he says, not that. He says, he that touched the firstborn. Now, the firstborn is not just, all right, any child. Back then, all right, for the Jews there, even for Egyptians, uh, they didn't let them go until God said, I will take the firstborn. The minute he started taking the firstborns in Egypt, Pharaoh knew on the inside that this is the collapse of the entire civilization of Egypt. He said, let them go. Now, God did many powerful demonstrations, but once he got to that point, he said, let them go. Now, God didn't kill everybody. He just said, the firstborn. He said, because Israel is my own firstborn. I want you to understand that you are touching my firstborn on this earth. Among the nations of the earth, Israel is my firstborn. So, it says, through the Passover and the blood of sprinkling, he that, all right, he that destroyed the firstborn called not even touch them. Now, the firstborns are the carriers of the inheritance in families. And the way it was done, as God designed it, 
is that every family, the next generation, will have a double portion of what was in the previous generation provided the inheritance is given to the firstborn. Now, the firstborn doesn't necessarily mean the first child, but the firstborn is the child that yields the most to the discipline of the father and therefore has shown himself, all right, to be a responsible one and mature among the children. So the father says this. So that's what Rebecca was saying when he wanted to lay hands on his son. He said, look, really and truly, you are following natural order. Jacob is the firstborn. That if you give this thing to Esau, that's the end of it. And you could see from Esau's behavior, the very place they say he shouldn't go and marry, that's the next place he went to. So it was somebody that did what he wanted to do, which means it's my will that I do. Firstborns are those that have carried the cross. Are you following what I'm saying here? Firstborns are those that God knows that, look, this thing is pleasurable, it's better for you, but if I tell this person not to do this, and this person comes to know inside their heart that this thing is not God's will, they will drop it. It might be inconvenient to them in their flesh, but they will drop it. And the firstborn also won't just make decisions without asking God. All right? So Joseph, if he takes on as a firstborn, and you throw them into fire, they're going to get offended and scatter everything. Joseph was the firstborn. In other words, Joseph was the one that showed maturity. They threw Joseph into prison. He was calm. Threw him into Potiphar's house. He was calm. He was wrongly treated by Potiphar. He was calm. He didn't react. He didn't, you know, start throwing tantrums and get angry and start talking back and all of this. And he was calm. When the brothers came to meet him, he could see firstborn operation. That's why it says in Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 17, it says that, But thou shalt acknowledge the son of the hated for the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that thou have. Now, how do you give a double portion to somebody of all you have when you don't have double of what you have? Do you get what I'm saying here? If I have 10,000 and God says, give me a double portion of 10,000, I don't have 20,000. So it's a spiritual thing. In other words, you pray for that person that this thing will double on your hands. Uh, you get what I'm saying here? Now it says, look at what it says here. It says, for he is the beginning of your strength, and the right of the firstborn is his. So Esau did not lose the right to be called a child. But he lost the right of firstborn. Now, in the kingdom of God, all of us are born again. But some people go to that point of firstborn status. And the firstborn status carry the inheritance. That's why it says, an heir as long as he's a child. Different not from a servant, though he be lord of all. So you can't be quoting the scriptures and promises, but the person just will not operate in those things, even though it's for everybody. So what Satan is trying to get at is the firstborn Satan. If he can wipe all firstborns out of the body of Christ, he knows I've got this church. And so how does he do it? We're going to see that. It's in situations like this. Where you are treated wrongly and all of this, and you now react. It says, I've got it in this person. Okay? So it says that, 
But by keeping the Passover, now this warfare, and the sprinkling of the blood. Now, obviously, the sprinkling of that blood, because if it's the Passover, put Hebrews 11, 28, it's a short message, but just see it. It says, Passover and the sprinkling of blood, that sprinkling of the blood must have meant that, must have meant the putting by the hyssop, the blood on, on because that's what happened. Okay? So what it considers it is when they did that, they actually sprinkled the blood. And it says, through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he that destroyed the firstborn will not touch them. So I'm just saying this here. If, I'm going to say this. If somebody's in a situation where, now you've got to understand this. If somebody's in a situation where they treat you wrongly, you react. They say, forgive. You say, I'm not forgiving. How can somebody do me? I must get my own back. There's no problem. You know that what you are doing is showing yourself not to be a firstborn child of God. Do you get what I'm saying? And when it's time for inheritance, will you give inheritance to somebody that is just emotional? No, God give him. This one that you just, you just look at it and won't know the gravity that this thing has to be transferred to the next generation. Uh, that listen to me, this is not just for myself. This is the wealth of the family, and it has to be transferred. I'm not just living for my own self, all right, to, to satisfy my own personal appetite. This thing, I'm carrying something that is going, all right, transgenerational here. So let's look at First John here, chapter 5 and verse 18 and 19. I want to show that you can keep yourself. The Bible says it kept. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, for he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. So, look, you can keep yourself such that Satan cannot touch you. All this Satan, no, 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 no. The Bible says, he that, all right, sinneth, he says, he keepeth himself. And this is what I want to show today. You keep yourself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Verse 19. It says this, and we know we are of God, and the whole world lies in wickedness. In other words, he says the whole world lies in wickedness, but you keep yourself. That the wickedness that is all around doesn't touch you. And you keep yourself by keeping the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood. For it tells us in 1 Corinthians, Christ, our own Passover, has been sacrificed for us. So in the New Testament, we have the Passover also. So if you keep the Passover and look at the next verse, it says this. Therefore, let us keep the feast. So we are also keeping the feast. We are keeping the Passover in the New Testament. And the blood of sprinkling so that the evil one cannot touch you. Look at Jude chapter verse 21. Jude verse 21. Jude has only one chapter. Keep yourselves in the love of God. So when he says that, uh, you keep yourself and, and, if, and the wicked won't touch you not, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy, all right, of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So you are keeping yourself in the love of God. Now, how do you do this? In Exodus 12 and verse, from verse 1, the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, this month shall be unto you the beginning of the month, and it shall be the first month of the year unto you. Speak unto the congregation, all right, of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month 
Let every man take a lamb according to his house of their fathers. Verse 4. And if the household be too, be too little for the lamb, let the neighbor next one, let them take one, and the neighbor shall come into the house. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish. You shall take it out from your sheep or goats. Verse 6. And you shall keep it to the 14th day, the whole congregation. You shall kill it in the evening. Verse 7. And you shall take the blood and strike it, and that's when they sprinkled it, on the two side posts and on the upper door post and the houses where you shall eat it. And then it says, and you will eat the flesh and all of that. And that's how they kept the Passover when they ate the flesh. Verse 9. Eat it not raw and sudden and all of that. Verse 10. And you shall let nothing remain in the morning which remaineth it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus shall you eat it, your loins gathered, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hands, and you shall eat it in his, is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment, I am the Lord your God. And the blood shall be for you as a token upon your houses. That where you are, that when I see the blood, in other words, he says, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite Egypt. In other words, he said this, when the plague that rests or the difficult circumstances that come, for example, the wrong treatment you are getting, he says, this Passover thing is the beginning of a new, it is a new month. Is the beginning of a new year. In other words, he's telling us spiritually that when you're experiencing this, God is about to birth something new in your life. It is the beginning. Now, we have a natural calendar which says January is the beginning of the year. But during the year, when you go through this kind of treatment, it says that that is when something new is about to be birthed in your life. Now, he's saying that that plague that comes is not to destroy you. That plague came on Israel. It destroyed people in Egypt. But it was by that plague, Israel got out of Egypt. In other words, the treatment can destroy some, but if you handle it right by keeping the Passover, it's your exit to the next level. Are you following what I'm saying here? But if you start getting angry, you're like, you stupid, you're like, then the thing wrecks the person. Now, it's your, it's your exit, which means when they crucified Jesus, they thought they were killing Jesus, well, they didn't know that they were opening the door for him to get to the right hand of the Father. So when those things happen, those things in themselves are not what Satan wants to do. Because when those things are happening, if you keep the Passover, the Bible says that the evil one can't touch you. So it means that those things in themselves, all right, is not really the evil. It's when you respond wrongly that Satan now attacks. So when Jesus went into the wilderness... The wilderness, he was led by the spirit there. That wasn't Satan. But when he was there and things were not comfortable, then Satan says, I can tempt this man now because they are vulnerable. So when those things are happening, Satan wants to tempt you. So you can have somebody come to advise you and tell you that, look, let me tell you this. I can't can take, take that nonsense from them. What rubbish is that? Are you a fool? Your mumu don't do. You get what I'm saying here? So you two now, heat begins to come out. And what they are doing is that they, want, they, they now want to, to take you, all right, and then you start reacting. Now, that's Satan. Jesus said, when you were taking Christ, he said, the prince of God coming to me had nothing in me. 
Satan couldn't get in. Now, so they sprinkle. God says, when I see the blood, I will. Now, so how do we keep this blood of sprinkling? I'll close here. How do we do it in the New Testament? That God says, and hear this here, God says, when I see the blood, once that blood is on your doorposts, and I see it, once I see that blood, this plague will not be upon you to destroy you, but I've got to see the blood. Now, it's not today, we're not taking blood and we're putting it, all right, on the doorpost of our houses. That's not what it's about. Where is this blood being sprinkled today? All right? Where does Jesus sprinkle it? Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22. And follow me in this. It'll take about five minutes and explain it. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in the full assurance of faith. That's confident. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. So that's where the blood is in your heart now. All right? And our bodies wash pure. Which means if the heart has been sprinkled there, that's, that's where he sees it in the heart. That's, that's where, all right, it is seen. The heart is sprinkled. And when the heart is sprinkled from, a, from an evil conscience, what happens is you can come boldly. Listen, when the heart has been sprinkled from an evil conscience, you come boldly, all right, to the throne of grace. You know that you cannot be denied by God on what you're asking him for. That is the state of your heart once it has been, all right, sprinkled there. It's an assurance, all right, of faith, and you come boldly. Where else did we see this? First John chapter 3, verse 20 to verse 22. It says, If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. But if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God that whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. In other words, the boldness is not coming. Just because we, that we, that they, just because we know that, you, now, just because oh, Jesus died, so boldly, no. He's saying that we do those things that are pleasing in his sight and we keep his commandments. So that brings about a, a level of, of boldness, all right, that is there. So this blood of sprinkling that purges us from an evil conscience involves what is called obedience to God. This podcast is brought to you by The Covenant Nation. For more information, visit www.insightsforliving.org. Thank you and God bless.